All right, so today's sermon is from Luke chapter 19, and uh, I'm going to read it. It's verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. For he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So when we're looking at this this story with Luke chapter 19, before we get into it, I want you guys to imagine a time in your life when you've been stuck. You've been stuck somewhere and you felt like you had no answer, you had nowhere to go, you had no solutions for your problems. Maybe for you, you could think back to a time you had a flat tire and maybe it was before cell phones or cell coverage didn't work or you're in the middle of nowhere or maybe you're at your home and the hot water heater starts, it, it breaks and starts leaking everywhere and you don't know what to do. You don't know where the valve is to shut it off. Um, it could be any number of things. It could be a, a time of illness. It could be an emotional, uh, something mental that, 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 that hits you and you just feel overwhelmed. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. And I've got a story like that for myself. Um, if you know me, you, you would know that I am, I don't know what the term is for it, but I, I love to touch things and to feel things. So I'll often walk past a wall, and if it has texture on it, I'll run my finger along the edge to feel it. Or I'll, uh, if there are holes in things, I'll put my fingers in them and, and feel it. Just, it's, I, I, I do that. I don't, I don't know why that is. But I've always done that, and I'll smell things. You know, maybe I'm not supposed to smell them or not. But um, the, I've, I've, um, the, the Granberry family, I work with them with Sacred Road, and, and whenever there were candles on the table, I'd always take them and smell them, and they'd always make fun of me for it. But I was like, I have to. I have to smell what it smells like. Um, but when I was a little kid, I was about seven or eight years old, I was over at Maureen Bishop's house, and she, was, um, uh, she went to our church, and her kids were the same age as me and my siblings, so we were out over there hanging out, and like I said, I'd, I'd go into places, put my hands in things, and for some reason there was a chair that um, had four legs on it, and it has, had four legs on it, and then there were those crossbars going across it, and I decided I'm going to try to stick my head into that chair, and uh, I did, I got in. But then I, I, I couldn't get out. And so I, I, I started crying. I started screaming. And my, my, my head was stuck in the chair. And I stood up. And the chair is on my head. And I'm pulling it. And I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it as hard as I can. But I can't get it off. And I start thinking in my head, you know, what if I stay like this? What if people see me? What if I have to be like this for a long time? Uh, what, if, what if I need to get a saw and the saw hits me? And, you know, when, when, you're, when you're little, I guess those kind of things come pouring into your head. You, you're panicking. And you're in full... Um, Full, full panic mode. Uh, but I, as you guys can tell, eventually the chair got off my head. Miss uh, Bishop, she, she told me, just sit down, calm down, and she took the chair right off. Uh, I imagine she'd gone through situations like that before as a mother. Um, but today's sermon is about someone who's stuck. Someone who, who, is, who, who is stuck and needs to get unstuck. Uh, he's a man who's, who's lived in fear, who's afraid. And 
it's a, it's a story you, you probably know well if you've ever been to church. If you've ever been to church as a child, you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, you know the song, and it's a, it's, it's a well-known story. It's one that's one of my favorites. We do it um, every year at Kids Club, sometimes multiple times in a year. And uh, I, I'm, uh, I work with Sacred Road Ministries in, in White Swan on the Yakum Reservation. I know you guys pray for us regularly, and, and we appreciate that, for, for, and, and, and give to us, and we appreciate that too. Um, for nine years, I was the children's ministry director, and so I would tell children's stories with the kids over and over again. I, I still tell children's stories with the kids, and I'm uh, now the assistant pastor and middle school director out there. But this, is, this has always been one of my favorite stories to do at Kids Club. I, I love the story. I love the imagery of it. I love the picture of it. I, I also love to do it with the kids in the summer because we always get to pick the littlest kid to be Zacchaeus, and then we'll pick the tallest person we can to be the tree. And there's something about it that, that has a little bit of humor to it. You know, there's this little man, he's in a tree. What's going on, right? And you may also think, well, this story, I know this story. I've heard this story. I know what's going on. And uh, it's a kid's story. I'm, we're all adults, and we need, we need adult stories, right? Well, I, I, would, I would offer to you that all of Scripture is good for us, and all of Scripture has something for us, even if we're, if we're a little bit older. So when we look at this story, when we look at this idea of someone who's stuck and needs to get unstuck, you can think about things in real life, people like drug addicts or people that are really violent or, you know, we use the term idolaters or, or, or drunkards. For them to change, something powerful has to happen to them. And you'll often hear stories about some, some powerful experience they've had or some run-in they've had or uh, kind of coming to the end of their rope experience, right? And this story of Zacchaeus is someone who has changed, someone who needs to change. And it's because of Jesus, of course, that he changes. So if we look at Zacchaeus, look at who he is, what's going on with him, well, if we look at Zacchaeus, this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. He's not mentioned in the Gospels of Matthew or Mark or John, just the Gospel of Luke. And from verses 1 through 4, we can gather a few things, right? We can see first off that he's from Jericho. He's wealthy. He's a tax collector. He's short. And he wanted to see Jesus. That's all the backstory we have. But from that backstory, we can glean a lot. And again, if you know this story of Zacchaeus, you know something about tax collectors. But I'm, I'm going to just refresh us on that and... and kind of do my own spin on it, if you will, that we have tax collectors today. The IRS is our most famous tax collector in the United States, and generally they're the butt of jokes, and people make fun of them, and people are like, ah, tax, you know, whatever. People don't like taxes, and same, time, same thing back then, a little different. Same thing, the, the attitude toward tax collectors. People don't like paying taxes today. They didn't like paying taxes in Jesus' day, so we know that, right? And in Roman times, things are a little different. Today, your taxes are withheld from your paycheck. You get your paycheck and Right away, stuff's held out. Back then, they didn't have cash registers or machines or computers or account. I guess they had accounting in some form. They didn't have accounting books and ledgers. They, had, they probably had some sort of ledgers. But it was very different back then. And the way tax collecting worked back then was that one person would be appointed, or they, they wouldn't be appointed. They would uh, pay the leaders to become the tax collector. They would pay, they, they'd be like, almost like an auction, and, or depends on who you knew. And this person would become the tax collector, and they would pay for, the, for that position. And that day, too, there, were, there weren't news services. There wasn't an announcement that said, uh, the emperor wants $10 per person. Everybody needs to pay $10. There was no announcement like that. So the only news you would get was the tax collector shows up your door, or you go to the tax collector's office, and they say, you owe $10. You don't know if the government says you owe a dollar, you owe $5, you owe $10, you owe $20. And the tax collector... In, in addition to having this, 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 this ability to take money, they had physical power. They could beat you up and, and uh, enslave and sell you as a slave. They could have the soldiers beat you up and, and force, you, force you to give them the money. 
And like I said, that they, would, they would get their position through, through paying for it. And so the, the government may have said everyone owes $5, but they instead say everyone owes $10 or $20, and they get to pocket that difference. And so you, you can think about that. Think about what that's like for Zacchaeus. Think about how that would affect people around him. Everyone knows how the system works. Everybody knows that the tax collector is a little bit corrupt. Everybody knows that he's taking more than he should. So you have this situation where he's making lots of money, he's getting rich, and in essence, he's cheating everybody. And he's not making friends by doing that. He has some friends with the Romans, but he's not making friends locally. And we also know that not only is he cheating people of money, he's taking money from people, but he's a, he's a collaborator. He's working for the Romans. The Romans had come into Israel about 100 years earlier. They had conquered it. They regularly killed the Jewish people. They were the occupiers of the area, and the tax collectors worked directly with them. So not, not only was he hurting his neighbors and family and his friends, or former friends, but he was also working for the bad guys. And the, most of them were considered traitors and hated by the Jewish people because of what they did and how they did it. And if you think about that, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine this idea of, of a traitor or a collaborator but for me, I like to ima- imagine or think about World War II movies. And I like World War II. I, I like history a lot. I was a history major in college, and I, I love history. But if you, if you ever watch World War II movies, and there, there are scenes after, say, the, the Allies come into to Brussels, and Brussels has been liberated, one of the first things that happens in that town is the collaborators get their just desserts, right? The collaborators would often get shot or hung or murdered, they would sometimes get tarred and feathered. They would sometimes be paraded in the streets with signs saying, this person's a collaborator, this person's a traitor, right? And if you've ever seen one of those movies, you, you can, can see what that's like or picture what that's like, that there's this time where collaborators receive public shame, public disapproval, because there's a special hatred that's reserved for a collaborator. And Zacchaeus, in a similar spot, has a special hatred that's, that's poured on him by the community. So we know he's hated by just about everybody in the community, uh, it also says that he's wealthy. Another version says he's very wealthy. So we know he's done a really good job of cheating people. And you can think about this. How has this impacted him? How has it impacted the community? And we know it's impacted the community that there would have been mothers and, and fathers who couldn't feed their children because Zacchaeus took their last bit of money. There would have been people that lost their homes because Zacchaeus took their savings. And we also know that the Bible tells us that when we act in evil ways, not only does it hurt other people, if we murder somebody, that hurts them because they're dead. If we steal some, from somebody, it hurts them because they don't have their money. But it also hurts us. When we sin, it damages our soul. It damages our spirit. And the more we're taking from other people, the more we become empty and dead inside. So we think about Zacchaeus. What is his life like? Yes, he's a rich man, but he's probably very alone. He probably has no friends. And the friends he has are probably only his friends because of his money, because of his power and his position. They're not truly his friends, but they're there because they're getting something out of it. And we also know Zacchaeus is rich, but he's, he's probably alone. He's probably friendless. And you can see, I think you can see from the story, this idea that he's a very sad, very lonely little man. I think you can see it. It, it talks about over and over again when Jesus is going about that there are crowds that follow him, huge crowds that are around him. And so there are huge crowds to see Jesus. It tells, that, tells us in the story there's a crowd. But nobody makes room for him. Nobody's going to let him through the crowd. So you can imagine this. Imagine that there's a crowd. You know, say this room is full of people, and you're, you're trying to get through. People all up and down, men and women. And Zacchaeus wants to get through, too. He wants to get through this crowd. He wants to get to the front. And you could imagine him going up to people and tapping them on the shoulder and, and, and asking, hey, can I, can I get in front of you? Can I, can I get through? 
and people are tapped on the shoulder, they turn around and they look, and it's Zacchaeus, the man that they hate. Instantly, their eyes are going to change in, in how they're looking at him. They're going to be filled with hatred and anger towards this man who's done all sorts of evil to them or to their cousins or brothers or sisters, to their family, their neighbors. The people may spit on him. People may kick dirt at him. People might just give him the, the cold shoulder and an evil eye. But no one's going to let him through that line. No one's going to let Zacchaeus be first, given how he's treated other people. So you can imagine him going up and down the line, everyone hating him, everyone turning their back on him. And I, I thought, too, well, Zacchaeus, he's a rich man, right? What does a rich person do when they can't get what they want? Right? They can ask for it, and they're not going to get it. But he has money. He's a man with money. He could say, here's $20, give me your spot. Here's $100, let me to the front of the line. And you could again imagine that he, tried, he might have tried that. We don't know. We don't know if he did or not. We can imagine him trying that. But people again would have said, no, Zacchaeus, I'm not letting you in the front here. I don't want you to have my spot. And so part of what I imagine is that's might have, that might have been why he was forced to climb the tree. It does tell us he's short. Uh, we don't know that's for sure. But I, I like to imagine that in the story, that, that, that some of that's going on. Imagine his dynamics and what the community's like and how they treat him. And I also kind of think there could have been other ways for him to see Jesus. He's a man who has connections. He's a man who's rich. He's a man who has power. He could have talked to the local magistrate or the local governor or the local soldiers and said, I want to meet this Jesus guy. Bring him to me or set me up a time to meet him. But he's not the kind of guy that people like to help. We can also think about Zacchaeus climbing a tree. On the one hand, it makes sense if you're short, you want to be taller, climb a tree, stand on a box, get on top of a building. But if you think about it, in climbing trees, when you're here at Mount Vernon or Anacortes or way up in the valley where you live, who do you, who do you normally see in a tree? It, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen an adult man or an adult woman uh, in a tree for no reason, right? If, if an adult person's in a tree, it's usually because they're cutting the tree down or they're pruning it or trimming it. There's never an adult in a tree just sitting there, Right? And, and you can you think about this and, and imagine, too, what about a rich adult, a person of power, a person of prestige, a person who thinks they're important? You don't see them climbing trees. And you again can see this idea that Zacchaeus climbs this tree because he's a person who's stuck. He has nowhere to go. He's at the end of his rope. He has no one to help him. He's a desperate person that no one's going to help. You can imagine how heavy his heart is. His heart's heavy with the sin he's done. His, his heart's heavy with his cheating. And he has nowhere to go, and he's stuck. And again, I asked earlier, have any of you guys ever felt stuck? Like you had nowhere to go and no answer for your problems. And in the, at this point in the story, when he climbs the tree, Zacchaeus is a man who's stuck. And of course, we know the end, he doesn't, he doesn't stay unstuck. He gets unstuck. And it happens because he meets Jesus. And we're going to get to that part in a second. We're going to go ahead and jump to the end and see how he changes. To see that Zacchaeus changes, he meets Jesus. He has dinner with him. And then afterwards, he's no longer in love with his money and power. But he's in love with God. He says, I want to do good. I will give half of my money to the poor. If I've cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times more. The man who had done evil, who loved money and had loved power, now he's doing good. He had cheated and now he's making it right. The man who only cared about himself and his riches now cares about those who are needy. He cares about those who need help. He's completely, he's done a 180. He's completely turned around. John Calvin says he knows that he's changed from a wolf not only into a sheep, but even into a shepherd. He's a man who's changed. He's no longer taking advantage, but takes care of people. And he does all this not to impress people. He does all this not to make Jesus love him more, but because first he met Jesus, and then he changed when he met Jesus. There's something powerful 
and stronger than him, outside of him, that's changed his heart and changed how he acts. And of course, we know this force, this powerful, strong force is Jesus. When Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he reaches out to him. Jesus doesn't kick dirt in his face or give him the evil eye or scowl at him. Jesus reaches out to him. You can imagine, too, in this story, hundreds of people following Jesus, but Jesus stops to talk to Zacchaeus. And why does this happen? Why does Jesus do this? And often we can say, well, we know why. God is love. He loves people, right? He loves everybody. And that's true. But why Zacchaeus and why not others? And we we just don't know. But here he does. He reaches out to Zacchaeus. When Jesus sees Zacchaeus, the way he looks at him would have been different than how Jesus was looking at others. Jesus would have also seen Zacchaeus differently than how others saw Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't hate him. Jesus didn't curse at him. But his eyes were filled with joy and love and happiness. His eyes would have sparkled because Jesus would have looked and seen in that tree a child of God. And this is the good news for us. When we trust in Jesus, God sees us the same way. God sees us as a beloved child. He sees us and says, that's my child who I love. He doesn't see our sin and our failures or our evil thoughts or our our addiction issues or our our sinful struggles. He doesn't see our self-hatred or fears, but he sees a child of God. Hebrews 8.12 reminds us, I will remember their sins no more. And that promise is true. Psalm 18.19 says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. God delights in us. He loves us. He enjoys being with us. He wants us. We bring God happiness and joy and a sparkle to his eye. And again, that may be hard for you to believe, but uh, another passage, Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God takes delight in us. He rejoices in us. He sings over us. And it, it's not just a, a singing like a, yay, I'm so happy you sing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like a party. It's a celebration. God is dancing, jumping, having a party over his children, over his, his people. And when Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, that's what he sees. He's rejoicing in this son who's going to be coming back to him. Uh, a story I like to use to illustrate this is when you think about eyes and what is communicated in someone's eyes, uh, I think all of us have seen people that maybe have dead eyes. You look at them and you can tell there's nothing going on internally. Uh, maybe there's something going on internally. But you can look at them and tell there's, there's something wrong here. There's something in this eyes that are, that are not right. And at the same time, we've seen people, we can look at their eyes and tell there's a sparkle in their eye. Um, I've, I've worked with children for a long time, and there's a psychological, this is psychological, or psychiatrical, whatever, one of those words. There's a, there's a, a theory called attachment disorder, or reactive attachment disorder. And uh, you'll hear about it sometimes with children who have, who have grown up in an orphanage, who have, who have grown up in really... Uh, distressed backgrounds. And these children grow up and they've learned through their experiences that adults can't be trusted, that adults are going to hurt you, that adults bring pain. And um, a lot of our kids have gone through really tough experiences and a lot of them have that same kind of mindset and they don't trust people. And it's really hard to win their trust and it can take a long time to build trust and build connections. And there's a lady named Nancy Thomas. She's written some really good books on, on uh, this, this idea of reactive attachment disorder. And she's done a lot of therapy. And she has like a, a, well, I don't know if she still does, but she used to have like a group home where she would take in children who have this diagnosis and care for them and try to connect with them and build positive relationships. 
and then try to send them back to their, their, birth, fam- or their birth family or adopted family and, and, and then have them reattach with those, those caregivers. And so she has all these different theories about how to attach with kids and um, a lot of really good stuff. And we've used a lot of her stuff with Sacred Road in working with our kids because a lot of them are, are from rough places. And one of my favorite examples she has is she talks about how much is communicated through your eyes. That if you're telling a kid, I love you, but internally you're thinking, I'm mad and I'm ready to strangle you, that comes through in your eyes. And she says, you have, she, so she talks about how when you're working with a kid from a, a rough background, that you need to be thinking in your head all the time of positive things about them. And you could say, in a way, you're saying it over them. This, this child is growing in this way. They're improving in this way. Because it comes through in your eyes. Even if you don't say it, you're thinking, thinking it about them. And so she tells a story about how one time she had this boy, and he wasn't eating. He was always making messes. He wasn't listening. There was no connection happening between the two of them. And she was holding him, and she thought, there's nothing I can think positive about this child right now. And I need, I need to think something positive about him because he's going he's gonna to know and feel it through, through my um, nonverbal communication. And she said as she was holding him, she started thinking, well, he's growing. His bones are getting bigger. His muscles are getting bigger. His ligaments are getting longer. You know, right now he's four foot two, but he's going to be four foot seven eventually. And then he's going to be four foot nine and all these different things. And she said that she was at the end of her rope with what to do with him, but she was thinking those kind of thoughts about him, that he's growing, he's changing. And so I, I've seen that with some of our kids. There have been sometimes I've, I've been holding a kid that's having a meltdown or they're biting or throwing dirt. And, and I'll, I'll, sometimes all I'll think is this child needs to go home and they can never come back. But I'll have to, I'll have to say in my head, they're growing. They're learning to connect. They, they ate some food today. A month ago when they came to church, they wouldn't eat at all. So I'll, I'll try to think those thoughts. And so... We know from this, from this scripture and other scriptures what Jesus thinks when he sees us. We know what his eyes are communicating to you and to me. And they're not communicating, I'm fed up with you, I'm done with you, you're on the last straw, the, the next, you know, you're on your second strike, third strike, you're out. Jesus, his eyes are the eyes of a friend, of an eyes, the eyes of someone who loves with a love that will not let you go. As we, as we go on to the story, we think about how does Jesus love Zacchaeus? And he has dinner with him. And you could think about this too in your own life. Who do you have dinner with? Well, generally, it's with friends or family. He's loving Zacchaeus like family. He's inviting himself into his house, and he wants to eat with him. He wants to delight in him. He wants to be with him. And when, and I, when I think about examples of delighting in somebody, one example I've always used, and I, I still like it, is a puppy. When you, have, when you have puppies, you come home, the puppies are so excited to see you, they'll pee themselves, they'll jump and they'll fall over because they're so excited to see you. Even your dog that you've had for a long time does that too, but puppies have like an extra amount of energy. But I can also think about, I've, I've, uh, as I think, I think Eric mentioned, that I, I got married in uh, August of last year, and uh, my wife Ruth is here with me, and I know that I delight in her when I see her, and my eyes light up when I see her, and I'm excited to see her, and if, if we haven't seen each other for the day, and we get to see each other and hug again, it's wonderful, right? I think all of us can see and know examples of delighting in someone else, of being delighted in, which is a great thing to have too. Jesus delights in him. Jesus loves Zacchaeus. One thing that's beautiful about this story too is we see Jesus loves those who are needy. He loves people who are hurting, who are in pain, who are at the end of their rope. He loves people that don't have any friends, that, that their hearts are broken, and they're all alone. Zephaniah talks about 
God rejoicing and dancing over us. But it also says he's a mighty warrior who saves. That God sees things in this world and he says, that's not right. I'm going to change that. This isn't good. I'm going to fix this. He says to Zacchaeus, you're stuck in this tree by yourself. Get down. We're going to have dinner tonight. You're not alone. You're not hated anymore. And you may think, well, Zacchaeus doesn't sound like somebody who's needy because he's rich, right? He has all the things you want in this world. He has money. He probably has a fancy house. and He probably has a, a nice um, a vacation home on the, on the Mediterranean Sea. You know, he, has, he probably has a really good 401k and uh, he's doing great. But he really doesn't have anything that matters. And when we think about this, 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 this example that Jesus has done, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What does it look like us for, for us to love like Jesus did? And in, in one, on the one hand, it's not that complicated. It can be really simple. Being a friend to someone who doesn't have a friend. If you're, at, if you're at a school and you see a kid that's sitting by themselves, go and sit with them. You may not talk for the first few times, and that, that's okay, but eventually get to that point where you're comfortable and you can talk. Through your actions and through your words, communicate you matter, you're valuable, you're loved. Isaiah 58 is a key passage, verses 6 through 12 is a key passage that we use a lot with Sacred Road. And we talk a lot about, in there it talks about um, clothing, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, bringing the stranger into your home. And it, it, then it says, don't turn your back on your flesh and blood. In essence, loving somebody like family. When you see somebody that, 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 that needs love, love them. Love them like family. Again, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Just pour your love out for them, communicate the love for them, and things will happen. And God promises again in, in, that, in that part in Isaiah 58 that his, he's going to move. He says that your, your night will be like the noonday. So we look at this story again, we, we think, what's our response? Are we like Zacchaeus in the story, or are we like the crowd, who instead of welcoming Zacchaeus and loving him, still has anger and bitterness? They say, look at the kind of man Jesus is staying with. Zacchaeus is a sinner. When, when we're like the crowd, we, d- we deny that we're broken. We deny that we need Jesus. We deny that we need his grace. Or do we know that we're sinners who are broken, who need God's grace? We know that we're just like Zacchaeus. We're in the same shoes with him. We don't deserve anything, but because of Jesus' love, because I'm loved by him, I can now love other people. We forget that so often. We can be like the Pharisees and sit back and judge people. But Jesus also says in this passage, The Son of Man came to find lost people and to save them. That's why he comes. That's why he comes today. He's all about rescuing broken people and broken families and broken communities. He takes people that have hurt and cheated and he changes them because he's stronger and more powerful than their sin. So I pray today that you're reminded of what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus is doing for you, and what he can keep doing in your life to change it. That he's more real for you today than this week. And I'll, I'll say, too, if you're here today and you've, you've come into this church and you don't, know, uh, you don't know Jesus like that, if you don't know his eyes look on you in this way, if you don't know what it's, loved, what it's like to be loved by the Creator, I'd be happy to talk with you about it after church. I know Eric would, too, that there are many people here in this church that would, would love to walk with you in that walk with Jesus. We're called to be part of God's family. We're called to be loved by Jesus. Jesus says today is the day for this family to be saved from sin. Yes, even this tax collector is one of God's chosen people. Jesus' message and his call is for everybody everywhere, even the worst people. No matter what you've done or think you've done, there's, there's power in Jesus to forgive and to transform. 
and He can forgive any sin, no matter how big or small. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the stories in Scripture. We thank You for the heart of Jesus for the lost and the broken, for those who broke and hurt themselves. Father, we pray this morning that Jesus will become more real in our our lives, that we can see ourselves as you see us. Father, help us to walk as people who know you and live after you. In Jesus' name, amen.